You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. It's been an interesting couple of years if one watches the media, especially publications like Daily Sun, that report on the shenanigans, um, for want of a better word, of prophets, of bishops, of preachers. Um, uh, they, they, they go by any number of names, apostles, disciples. We've had cases where members of the public have been sprayed with doom to release them of demons. We've had cases where members of the public have had to drink petrol or diesel or go out and eat grass. We've had pastors accused of inappropriately touching their congregants so that their congregants can be more um, fruitful in terms of, of having children. And of late, we've seen two very well-known um, South African pastors implicated in in what one could only call irregular or downright unlawful activities. The one has been involved um, and accused by the police and arrested of running a Ponzi scheme, and the other has been accused of staging the resurrection of somebody who had supposedly died. Joining me in studio is Kulise Nkuba, who himself is no stranger to controversy. He says it as it is. Kulise, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chet. Nkulisi, what is going on? Why are we seeing a surge in prophets promising prosperity to the vulnerable and the weak? I think the advent of the so-called prosperity churches, or should I say the happy clappy churches, uh, has brought about the commercialization of the gospel, commercialization of religion. So what they are doing is just to advertise themselves. They are reaching, I mean, an orthodox ways of trying to advertise themselves so that they woo a number of people. Now, then, on the other hand, we have desperation by most people who don't, I mean, uh, have means of trying to earn a living, and some of them would go to any church that promises them miracles, because to them, uh, in a way, miracles were created to cover up for laziness. In a way, miracles were met, I mean, were invented to try and fast-track uh people's wealth. So they go there believing that the prophet or the, the men of God, as they call them, will fast track their, uh, their passage from uh, being poor to being rich. And then there are others who are being paid to go there and try and uh, sanitize this so-called prophecy whereby uh, somebody already would have had their background checks t- I mean, done prior to being uh, in the church. Then what you see there being shown to the people as prophets would actually be something that uh, the prophet had prior knowledge uh, of because background checks would already have uh, have been done on them. Please, it seems to be targeting the weakest of society and it seems to be taken too far now. You know, you now have these so-called prophets, pastors, men of God that say they're not allowed to touch the ground and they literally walk on the backs of their congregants who have to lie down before them. What is making our people so vulnerable that they believe the shenanigans that are put before them? I think some of these people believe too much in these people than they believe in the scriptures. They believe too much in these people than they believe in God himself. So whatever the prophet says goes, because in a way of trying to carry favor with these guys, they would allow anything to happen. I think it's more of gullibility than anything else. These people have been so brainwashed that they cannot think independently. But it's heartbreaking. Surely government should be doing something to prevent this from happening. That's very true. But the problem is some of these guys are linked or they are said to be linked with the powerful politicians, especially here in South Africa. For starters, government doesn't, I mean, 
seem to be uh, in a, in any agency, in any form of agency, to try and introduce laws that we, that are going to keep this kind of behaviour. Instead, you see government officials every time towards elections going to these churches, parade, being paraded in, in the I mean in the public domain, in the public domain, as if they also belong to the same churches. So it becomes difficult for the same government, which is in a way populist to come back now and say we are arresting you for APCT. We've seen people being held before the CRIL to try and maybe rain them down. But at the end of the day, nothing comes out of it because maybe government gets involved or maybe government is too reluctant to have, I mean, to introduce laws that are going to keep this kind of PF. And then we've seen some of these prophets being uh, arrested, but you see uh, their congregants marching to the, I mean, demonstrating in the courts, and then government, in a populist way, backs down and leaves them just to be. But Ngulisa, you use the word gullible. How gullible does somebody have to be to believe that their pastor died, went to heaven, happened to have a camera with them, took a picture with himself and God, came back to earth, and now sells those pictures as being blessed pictures for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of rands? Some of these things, I mean, some of this behavior that we see from our today's congregants is that they've reached some special form of, um, I mean, madness, if I should say, because there are some of the things that just don't fit into the basics, be they the basics of real life or or basics of religion. Because even Christ himself didn't at at any point just disappear and then come back. But now we have people who believe that a mere mortal can disappear, go to heaven. Even if you try and tell them that things like this can just not happen, you become a demon to them. You become the demon that should be fought. So I think we've reached a point whereby there's been a lot of brainwash. And to try and get people out of this, they have to unlearn what they've learned already from these churches. I don't know what, I mean, drives them, but I think it's more of trying to be, I mean, to carry favor from these guys, or is just lack of understanding of the scriptures themselves. Mukhlisi, you, you, you made the point that these people have been brainwashed, but the writing has been on the wall. The newspapers haven't been shy to report on what they believe is taking advantage of the vulnerable, where they've been sprayed with, with, with pest repellent, where they've been forced to drink diesel and petrol, where they've been literally walked all over, where they have seen people raised from the dead, which were clearly in the video breathing and alive before that. Do you think government now needs to take a stand to protect the people from these charlatans? Definitely. The government needs to take a stand, and it needs to take a stand now, because the more this thing continues the more people are going to be lost because we have reached a stage whereby we have we are coming across people who are becoming Christian extremists, should I say. They are becoming religious extremists. They do not believe anything that is orthodox anymore when it comes to religion. To them, anything that is unorthodox just goes. To them, anything that the prophet says Cause to them anything that the church minister says should be done will be done. So at the end of the day, government should introduce laws, strict laws that deal with this kind of behavior and if needs be, ban some of these churches or introduce laws that will just automatically uh, criminalize this kind of behavior so that the people who are gullible, the people who have been brainwashed, 
do not continue to be lost from society. We may have organizations that are there to protect one's right um, to, to religious freedom. However, we don't have organizations that protect individuals from organizations that are setting out to defraud individuals. And it is a sad indictment on our country that there are so many of these new churches blooming all over the place and that these churches that preach prosperity, that take money from the most vulnerable, do not have any form of oversight, do not pay tax, and have been used in certain instances for money laundering. This is something that needs serious addressing. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Mkulisi more about his career as an investigative journalist and how he came to report on certain things. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. I'm in conversation with Glise uh, in Cuba. We're going to change track now and chat more about Glise because he has a very interesting story to tell. Glise, you're an investigative journalist, and um, in South Africa we've had a Twitter handle of an individual that the authorities have been hunting down for years, and that is Mans Not Barry Roo. But Zimbabwe had a very similar um, issue with a Facebook um, persona that they were hunting down, and they thought that was you. Tell us a bit more about that Facebook persona and why you were accused of being that individual. Uh, the Facebook page was uh, Baba Chukwa. It was... Uh run by somebody or some people who, were, who had some kind of privy, I mean, internal PF information, internal government information. So what they did was they would always publish this kind of information. They would even give out uh, state uh, agents or government officials confidential information in private uh, phone numbers and say, so-and-so has done this. Now what you need to do is call them stop them from doing this or expose some of the shenanigans that were being done by government officials, put them out there in the public domain, and then uh, have people calling these people, I mean, these government officials with all kinds of things that, I mean, they thought because Zimbabweans are angry people, so you, you can imagine if they had a number like, for example, Robert Mukabe's number, they would call and say just anything. So I think for them to accuse me of being that had nothing to do with what they believed I was, because when I came here in 2008, I was already running away from them uh, because they already wanted me dead back then for exposing the post-election violence of 2008. So I think in a way they thought that by pushing me out of Zimbabwe, they would stop me from, pra- from practicing my, 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 my journalistic uh, duty. So when I came here, I continued. So I think it was a way for them to try and maybe stop me or maybe silence me, but they didn't stop me because I'm still writing even today. It must be very dangerous, especially being accused of somebody that's leaking state secrets or leaking confidential contact particulars of those that are in power. Um, were you ever accosted in South Africa by agents of the Zimbabwean government or agents of the CIO? Uh, what happened is uh, I called uh, when because there is a time when the police uh, spokesperson, national police spokesperson, Charity Charamba, held a press briefing whereby she released 10 names of people who were wanted for being Babachuka. And my name was at the top. I was the number one accused there. Then what I did is I called her from here in South Africa because I was tired of this because besides being uh, having this stuff written about me, there was a, pose, I mean, a, a time whereby I couldn't write for anybody because people thought that because this Baba Chukwa appeared to be linked with the state security agency, he could be maybe 
a CIO agent, and they thought that because I've been accused of that, they couldn't trust me anymore. So I called Charity Jarama and said, let's put an end to this. Where do you want me to report myself over? And then I'll hand myself over. She said, okay, go to the Zimbabwean embassy. You just need to go there where you can realize that you've been framed because you wouldn't have called us from your direct, I mean, from your mobile phone to just, just out of nowhere. Then I went to the Zimbabwean embassy. When I got there, the story changed. They wanted me to call to arrive. They first interviewed me. The interrogation took about four hours. Then they said that I should go to Harare. Having explained to them that I wasn't, I mean, involved in this, and they even admitted to me that they thought that I was being set up by somebody or somebody was framing me. Then all of a sudden they said, you are wanted in Harare. I said, okay, I'll go to Harare, but I need to sort a few things here in South Africa because I, ch I can't just leave my family. They said, okay, let's go to Harare tomorrow, we'll pay for your uh, ticket and everything. Then when I got out, I called my lawyer. We said, you know what? Just don't come here. These guys know that they are convinced that you are not part of this. But what they want to do is to silence you. Just don't come here. So I didn't go there. When I called Charity Charamba last year seeking a, a comment on another story that I was doing, she told me that, you know what? We're still looking for you. You ran away. We're still looking for you. Now, this is interesting to me because... You've exposed some major stories regarding um, Zimbabweans, repatriations, um, Zimbabweans are in South Africa, um, what happened with the political scene in Zimbabwe with ZANU-PF, with MDC, etc. And you haven't um, stayed away from controversy. Now you're reporting locally about local pastors and you, you, you're being quite vocal on social media about what you believe are these false prophecies, these false miracles and the way that locals are being abused by local pastors, etc. Do you not fear for your life? Uh, I'm not a kamikaze. I do fear sometimes, but there are, there are times whereby there are things you cannot control. I think I was born to do it. I was just born to tell where there is danger because if I have to put myself in danger to free the public, then so be it. I don't think, when I, whenever I chase a story, I don't think about the danger. I think about the benefit of having this story published. The danger will come, I'll deal with it when it comes, but I don't think there is a way or any time where I will think about just uh, retiring from journalism because this is the kind of journalism that I was born to do and this is the kind of journalism that I'll continue to do. Kulise, if our, if our listeners want to read more about your take on what's going on both in South Africa as well as in Zimbabwe and Southern Africa as a whole, um, how, do they, how do they find um, access to what you write? Um, I, right now I've just started a, a website which is AfricanVoiceGlobal.com is on the internet and it's going to be a newspaper very soon. I also, uh, some of the things that I cannot write for the newspaper, I post on my Facebook page where I go by the name Mkolis Ngube. And my Twitter handle is at Ngube Mkolis. That's where they can find my stuff. I also write for a number of international publications. So you freelance for the likes of Mail and Guardian and others in South Africa. Do you feel that they're still willing to write the stories of what's happening in Zimbabwe? Or have people got over what's happened in Zimbabwe, even though right now there's massive unemployment? We, we're heading towards a similar scenario in Zimbabwe as what happened um, just after the 2008 elections with hyperinflation, etc. Do you think people are forgetting about Zimbabwe? Uh, I think there are some people who are forgetting about Zimbabwe, but Zimbabwe will always be there in the public domain. Zimbabwe will always be newsworthy because of the things that keep happening. Yes, I think it depends on what kind of journalism 
we have right now in Zimbabwe and outside of Zimbabwe because some of the things that we see being written are being rewritten. They are being, is people reinventing the wheel. They are writing about ZANU-PF violence without telling us what forms, what new forms that violence has taken because I think we need some, I mean, that kind of journalism that will always give us something new. That kind of journalism that will always dig up things that are hidden. So right now, I think most of the journalists who are writing about Zimbabwe are just giving us on the surface things that we already know about. Now, that now uh, calls for more investigative journalists who are going to make sure that Zimbabwe continues being there because Internationally, there are some people, um, there are some newspapers that are saying, okay, the story of Zimbabwe, we already know about this, we've written so much about this. So for you to appeal to them, you need to come up with something new, something that they don't know about, something that is going maybe to shock them. Kulisa, you need to keep up the work, you need to keep the public knowledgeable on what's going on, not just in Zimbabwe, but on our own doorstep with regards to these fake Profits. Be careful. Be safe out there. And for our listeners, if they want to follow you again, just give them those Twitter handle and that website. Uh, the website is www.africanvoiceglobal.com. My Twitter handle is at My Facebook page is Ngolisi